People of Note on Fine Music Radio is proudly brought to you each week at this time by Peter Turin Productions. Welcome to this week's edition of People of Note here on Fine Music Radio. Rodney Trojan greeting you. Let me introduce you to my guest. His name is Brian Cheng. You might even have been lucky enough to see him perform Elgar's Cello Concerto a few weeks ago with the Cape Town Philharmonic. But let me tell you a little bit about Brian before we uh, get him to tell about himself. Following recent prize-winning successes at some of the world's most prestigious international competitions, including Queen Elizabeth, Concours de Genève, Paolo, the Canadian-born and Berlin-based cellist Brian Cheng, has established himself as one of the most compelling young artists on the classical music scene. He made his sold-out Carnegie Hall recital debut at 14 and his Elbe Philharmonic debut aged 20 with the Deutsche Kammerphilharmonie in Bremen. And then in 2022, he was the first cellist to be awarded at the covered pre-Yves Patineur in recognition of the Verbier Festival Academy's most promising and accomplished musician. Not bad for a young man. Congratulations and welcome, Brian. Welcome indeed. Thank you, Ronnie. Thanks for having me. You were telling me um, that you've been enjoying almost a month in Cape Town, not only on your own, but with your family and your sister. That's right. Yeah, actually, I've been here um, seeing the whole country of South Africa, pretty much. We started, I started in Durban with the KZN uh, Orchestra, and then I was in Pretoria for a recital, and in Joburg with the JPO and in, in Bloemfontein and my then goodness. made my way down the, the Cape through Nizna now to, to Cape Town and Stellenbosch and my last stop is in Hermanus. My goodness, that's quite a tour and you must have got to know the country well, not only that, but also our orchestras, our audiences mm-hmm. and the concert halls, the various concert halls you've played in. Very much. It's been a real treat to discover the, everything that South Africa has to offer. But it's not your first visit, is it? It's your first sort of professional visit. But you my, in Right. My first time was uh, visiting was in uh, 2022 when I was participating in the UNISA competition and I, I was lucky enough to, to win that. So this is sort of a, a winner's tour. Uh, okay. <laughs> it's something that I really enjoyed uh, putting together. Yeah. What I'm most interested in is you've brought your family with you, your parents and your sister. And I know you work with your sister in a, in a, a duo, but we'll right. come back to that. But did your parents, did you have to twist their arm to come or did they say, we are coming with you to <laughs> South Africa? Well, the thing about being a um, a musician who advertises their concerts is uh, not only does does the entire world see your schedule, but your parents also see your <laughs> schedule. So they like to sort of make a habit of uh, looking at our upcoming performances and and sort of selecting the the highlights and seeing if certain trips might be possible. And it's you know it's difficult to sort of block off family vacation time uh, within a regular concert season. So sometimes, uh, if it makes sense, they'll they'll come along when Sylvie and I are performing over an extended uh, period of time, and, and we will sort of fit in a week or two of um, family time. So that's what we were able to do uh, here in South Africa. Excellent, yeah. excellent. And have they enjoyed it, dare I ask? Yes, very much so. Yeah, it's been, it's been fantastic. I mean, weather-wise, uh, first of all, it's... 
much better than any November or December <laughs> that <laughs> that we'd experience anywhere else in the world. <laughs> it's a little hot, you must admit. But we 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 like the hotness. I mean, it's much better than the snowstorms or you know, <laughs> yes, that's true. I suppose windy, cold conditions. Did your parents travel with you around the country to all those concerts? No, tours? not not to all of the tour stops. That's I mean, the tour life is not for everyone uh, yeah, for sure. True. So I think. They they just met us in Joburg and, and Cape Town, right. but we've been able to to see some uh, some other sites together. I mean, we were touring around the Cape um, Cape of Good Hope and Cape Point, and uh, seeing the Boulders Beach, the penguins. Oh, the penguins! Yes, yes. yes. So, <laughs> not missing out on anything. But that's a that's a nice way to relax, isn't it? Because, as we know, the life of any professional musician, especially a young man, proving himself on the world stage mm-hmm. is very very stressful. You've got to do a lot of practicing and a lot of discipline. Yes, it is. It is demanding, and and the travel takes a toll. It's not always the most uh, glamorous lifestyle, but um, I personally, I, I love, I love what I do, and I love all aspects of it. I love meeting new people and discovering new cultures and and trying new food and all these things. <laughs> <laughs> Have you done that here? Oh yes, yeah, very much so. South yeah. African or African cuisine. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I was introduced to the concept of uh, braise last time <laughs> I was here and uh, fell in love with that. I love meat and, and barbecued meat uh, and uh, trying, you know, ostrich and, and more um, local delicacies, biltong, you know, fantastic things. <laughs> Good grief. So palate experience as yes, well, not yes. only sort of cultural. It informs my music making, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, Bill Tong informs your music making. But let's not go there. But now, I said uh, Canadian-born, Berlin-based, but you are obviously Asian, mm-hmm. so you are Chinese, first That's and right. foremost, yes. but you were born in Canada. Mm-hmm. So, and your home now is in Berlin, is that right? Yeah, yeah. It's a very sort of typical multicultural story of, of People in general, but also musicians in particular. You know, we find ourselves migrating, and this concept of home is is also something that we constantly grapple with. Uh, being on the road a lot of the time, and and sort of living out of a suitcase, and coming from such a um, diverse background, I I find myself uh, questioning sometimes what. You know, do I belong to a country? And, and so I sort of have to make home wherever I go. <laughs> so I'm going to ask you a question now. Which country do you belong to? <laughs> to put you in a <laughs> well, I'm uh, I'm a Canadian citizen. Right. Uh, okay, but I'm okay. a German resident. So <laughs> right, right. your parents obviously were there in Canada before you were born. Had they been there for a while? They uh, moved very shortly after my sister was born. She was born in, in Tokyo, actually, in Japan where my parents met, and um, when she was about eight or nine months, they moved to Canada, and then they've stayed there ever since. So they still live in, okay. in Canada. Hence you're being born there. That's right, yeah. Okay. I think it's time we had um, a taste of what music you've uh, selected for us. Sure, and I see yes. Astor Piazzolli is first. Yes, one of my absolute favorite composers, um, the sort of father of the modern tango, as, as we know, Astor Piazzolla. Um, he wrote this uh, wonderful set of pieces called the Five Tango Sensations, which um, were originally written for Bandoneon and String Quartet, which is sort of in itself uh, quite a strange very unusual. Uh, yeah, a combination, unprecedented, really. Um, and uh, when I discovered this record and, and this uh, piece that you're about to hear, I absolutely fell in love with it. I think uh, during COVID, I was probably listening to this album 
at least three times a day <laughs> to <laughs> get you, me through. Have you ever played any piazzola on the cello? Yes. Actually, um, at, when I played with the Cape Town uh, Philharmonic Orchestra, as my encore, I played um, a tango etude that I arranged um, originally for flute. Uh, I did it for, for cello. So I'm, I'm trying to um, be a proponent of piazzola's music uh, as much <laughs> as I can. With the cello, yes. right. Yeah. Let's have a listen. Asto piazzola.
Astor Piazzolla from Five Tango Sensations, Anxiety. Uh, Piazzolla there with the Kronos Quartet. And it was the first choice of my guest on People of Note this week, Brian Cheng, the cellist, who's just been stunning people around South Africa with his performance. And you played the Elgar for us, uh, Brian, here in Cape Town. And one thing that struck me, and this was me being negative and cynical, um, when I thought, oh, he's playing... Elgar, but he's so young. Will he be able to bring the sort of sadness, melancholy authority to that work? Mm. And gosh, you did. It obviously is a work that means a lot to you for you to have played it like that, mm. with that understanding. Very much so, yeah. it's. Um, I mean, I, I always try to immerse myself, first and foremost, in the historical context in, in which a piece of music uh, was written. And with the Elgar in particular, there's there's so much that we can gather in our interpretation of this piece, um, you know, having been written in World War One, uh, among this huge tragedy and in terms of Elgar's personal life, his his yeah. wife also being seriously ill. Yeah. Had she died when he wrote this? Country? Not yet. Oh, not yet. But, uh, yes. she, was but she was terminally ill. Yes, exactly. Yes. And so very unhappy circumstances in, in which he was living. And this obviously translates into the music. Mm-hmm. Uh, and And for me, that's the greatest reward is when I can sort of, you know, with these non-living, these dead composers, uh, unfortunately we can't ask them uh, anymore what, what exactly they, they wanted in, in their music, but we can sort of uh, infer um, based on their lives and, and, and the notes that are written and the incredible power of, of this music. So I try to give all of myself to, to these performances. One person I remember reading somewhere who, which, who said that the slow movement of the Algar you almost feel embarrassed listening to it because it's as though you're eavesdropping mm. on his most personal, private thoughts. Right. And it is a bit like that. Do you know what that person meant? I'm sure you do. Definitely, it. yeah. It's yeah. so personal, so introverted, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, that is that is the beauty of, of, of music written by composers who really, really put every ounce of their, their emotion and their soul mm-hmm. into the music. And, and so many of... Um, my favorite composers. That that's exactly why I love them. It's their their music feels you, you feel like you get to know them as mm-hmm. as, as people. a person, yeah. let alone just as a composer. Exactly. Yeah. And there's that lovely contrast, isn't there, from that scherzo mm. with all that fast playing? Yes. <laughs> Always yes. wait to see if someone's <laughs> going to lose the. <laughs> it could go flying at any moment. Yeah. <laughs> and then into that, and then. The last movement, and that's why I'm talking about this, it begins very bouncily and goes along, mm. and suddenly towards the end, the mood changes completely to yes. incredible melancholy yes. and a lovely theme that tears your heart out. Mm. Yeah. Do you the, agree? The third movement comes back, actually, in, it, a, well, in, it does, a, it? in a very, very drawn-out um, manner, and and it's it's so slow that most people don't even recognize it, actually. It, it feels like a, a new melody, and, and that's sort of this, this transformation where... I think I heard another cellist talk about how um, the Elgar is um, the cello concerto feels like a lifetime that you're witnessing, you know, from from the beginning this noble birth mm-hmm. um, until the the last chords where you feel like you, when when the exact same opening theme returns, yes. it's completely different. You feel yeah. like you've gone through a whole um, life of of 
uh, emotion and yeah, and it must be for a player like you. I mean, for the audience, it's sometimes a bit weird mm. that that opening comes back right at the end to mm -hmm. close it because it's such a unique opening it is. Um, for yeah. any concerto, no matter what instrument, mm -hmm. and it works obviously so well on the cello, and then suddenly to hear it at the end, yeah. Yeah. And a that, bang from the orchestra. It's always all uh, over. been a struggle for me to to be able to express all of all of that emotion and the um, sort of the amalgamation of of pain and and tragedy and and um, nostalgia that we've been feeling throughout the past thirty minutes to put those back into the chords and and to take away the the shock value of it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I love the way you're talking about it because you obviously enjoy the work very very much. Yes. Have you played it before? Um, I have. A, yeah. A, so it's I've played it quite a few times especially in the last few years. It's sort of somehow become a, a calling card of mine. Um, <laughs> I'm not particularly sure why. You, know, you I, and Jacqueline I, Dupre. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, very high standards to live up to. But yeah. uh, no, I, I, you know, the, with cellists, on the one hand, we have only a few standard, standard uh, concertos in, in our repertoire. But on the other hand, there's fantastic works that are not so often played. And, and I try to also champion those as, as much as possible. Mm -hmm. So... It is strange, isn't it, Brian, that the cello, which is a much-loved instrument by people, mm -hmm. has so few famous concertos. Yes, yeah. Dvorak, obviously. Have you played the Dvorak? Yes, yeah. I've played all of the standard concerti. Um, Haydn. And, and Haydn and Shostakovich yeah, and yeah. Uh, Tchaikovsky, the Rococo variations. Oh, yes, of course. Schumann as well. Uh, mm -hmm. there's, there's a great variety, but um, there's also incredible pieces like the Korngold Concerto or the, the Bloch Shalomo or... Yeah. Um, yeah, Kol Nidre or Prokofiev's Sinfonia Contratante. And yeah. these are, you know, the huge spectrum of, of works uh, which really deserve equally, to, in my opinion, to be heard uh, as and, the Algar. And Brian, do you, do you enjoy chamber music? Because there's such wonderful yes. chamber music written for mm -hmm. cello, both as a sonata with keyboard mm -hmm. or in trios and trio quartets. Yes, yeah, it's one of my biggest passions, chamber music. It's... Uh, Every chance I get to, to play with um, wonderful musicians, I, I do. And uh, actually, this uh, Piazzolla that we just heard, um, I arranged into a string quintet uh, arrangement, which is going to be premiered in, in Germany at the end of uh, December. Um, and so I, it's, yeah, it's just whenever chances come up that I can program music that I love uh, with with fellow colleagues or, or master musicians from the older generation, I, I jump on it. <laughs> I remember we were talking just before we set about recording about that uh, Piazzolla, and I said it seems strange to have Piazzolla on the cello, because mm. you don't immediately think of the cello right. with Piazzolla, but you're setting out to correct this impression. Yes, the cello, I mean, it's it's one of the most versatile instruments in, in the whole um, spectrum of, of music that we have, and uh, I think, you know, not only is it the closest to the human voice, but it can also morph into, you know, a percussion instrument and um, a rhythm <laughs> instrument and all of these things that maybe are sort of unthinkable when <laughs> they when, are you, when you listen to exactly shocked. Yeah, yeah, no, but with with Piazzolla's music, I, I've really discovered how to transform the cello into so many different roles. Yeah, yeah. Okay, now I see we've got some Chinese music coming mm -hmm. up next. Is it just you and your sister here? Yes. Yeah, so it's originally written for um, the Arhu, which is a two stringed. Chinese folk fiddle uh, solo actually and uh, we arranged it and sort of recomposed created a piano part for it and uh, this is our interpretation of, of the folk song.
Now that was called Moon's Reflection Upon a Spring, written by Hua Yan Yun. I hope I've got the pronunciation. Yang Jun. Yang yes. Jun. <laughs> with the Cheng duo, Brian and Sylvie Cheng, brother and sister. And Brian Cheng is my guest on People of Note this week, having just stunned us all with a um, Elgar cello concerto. Um, one thing I was going to say, we were talking during that music, that the sound of the pentatonic scale immediately reminds you of China. Mm -hmm. And so it's like a thread through Chinese music, isn't it? It's so ubiquitous. Both classical and yeah. otherwise. Very much so. It's, it's, it's very synonymous with um, this pentatonic scale, with, with Chinese music. And that's part of uh, the interesting thing about why we created this album is not only honoring, of course, this very traditional um, uh, element of, of Chinese music, but also seeing what else is there besides the pentatonic scale that, that we can associate with, with Asian music. And, mm -hmm. and so we chose to um, arrange not only these two Chinese folk songs uh, on this album, but also we commissioned uh, three composers by various um, Asian, um, of various Asian heritage to write music, and not specifically for this album, but through other projects that uh, we now recorded for the album. And, um, and that is our sort of 21st century take on, on what Asian music sounds like today, you know, coming from um, very multicultural background. So is the CD of going to, is it available? It is, it is available on Spotify, Apple Music. So I really encourage people to, to listen and, and make their own uh, discoveries and associations. What is the disc called? It's called Portrait. Portrait. Yes. And well, one of the pieces, Moon's Reflection Upon a Spring is what we've just heard with the Cheng Duo. Now tell me a little bit about this Cheng Duo, because that's the first time I became aware of you. We played something. Somehow we got a CD of the Cheng Duo. Oh, okay. And I was saying, what's the Cheng Duo? And Louise said, Brian Cheng is coming to play the Algar. Mm. And sort of all fell into place. <laughs> so is this a, an established kind of commercial gig, for want of a better word, that you and your sister have? It is a, it is a fixed ensemble that we have, yes. Um, and it's been now, I mean, we've been playing together for almost our entire lives. Um, not professionally, of course, <laughs> in, yeah, in the beginning. Uh, is she younger or older than she's you? She's six and a half years older than me. Older than you, yes, okay, yeah. okay. Uh, so I actually was inspired to pick up the cello um, hearing music at home. Our parents are not musicians. Uh, they're both scientists. And um, so she was the one who was practicing piano, and I would sort of dance along in my diaper. <laughs> and uh, and I wanted to, to pick up an instrument, but something different than piano. So we started uh, playing together just, just by chance. Um, our, our teacher actually matched us uh, together uh, when we were kids and said, oh, it's perfect that you have a pianist at home. She can play these like Suzuki accompaniment parts oh, yes, yes, uh, yes. while you're learning them. And uh, gradually we, you know, we participated in some local competitions and music festivals. And then our first um, big professional debut was in uh, Carnegie Hall in 2011 when I was around 14 years old. <laughs> it's amazing <laughs> to play in Carnegie Hall at 14. Yeah, and I think I didn't really realize how significant of an event okay. that was at that age. I just, uh, Sylvie asked me, you know, we were actually replacing an injured musician then, and, and she said, you know, do you want to do it? And like, are you ready? And I said, yes, let's do it. <laughs> um, Not realizing the gravity. Exactly, yes, yeah. Um, you mentioned that you wanted to take up something different, not the piano. Mm -hmm. Do you know why you chose the cello? And that might sound like a stupid question because it's such a beautifully sounding instrument. Yes. Well, I, I mean, I'd, as I said, because my parents are not musicians, they didn't really know what other options there were besides the piano. So they took me to this local Suzuki school uh, we had in Ottawa where I grew up. And uh, there was a day 
I think it was like the instrument petting zoo, where you could and go and instrument petting yeah, zoo. Yeah, <laughs> you could go and and touch in all of the orchestral instruments, idea. and you could listen to them and, and feel the vibrations as as a kid. And I was really really attracted to the cello. I I loved the. Apparently, how I described it was the deep and scary sound. <laughs> <laughs> when you were young. when I was three and a half, three. Wow, is that when you started? Yes, I started when I was three and a half. So you obviously yeah. started on a very small cello. It was tiny. I think we still have it. Actually, it's a one tenth size cello. Well, that is small. <laughs> it's quite adorable, actually. <laughs> But then, how does that work? How do you graduate to go directly from that to the full? Size? No, there's many, many. Inter I think I had maybe six or seven intermediate cellos. Oh. So there's like one eight. Sorry, one tenth, one eighth. Uh, quarter size, half size, um, seven eighth size, even wow. so, just below full size, and then there's the, the, the full, size. Yeah, full size. And the other very important point is that cello that you're playing is quite a cello, and I want you to tell me about it. Sixteen ninety nine. That's I'm right. Told. Yes. But the sound, and it worked so well for the Elgar. I'm sure you had something to do with the sound. <laughs> I'm not trying to put you down. <laughs> But it was so mellow mm -hmm. and um, melancholy. Yes, yes. The cello dark. is it is it's incredible. It's uh it's by the famous Italian maker Antonio Stradivari, and it's on loan to me from this uh, Canimax Foundation, a Canadian foundation uh, based in in Quebec, and they have a huge collection of instruments. But this one, when I when I first laid hands on it, I really really just fell in love with with this exactly this warm. Um, dark sort of uh, it sounds like a, a musical hug really when, you, oh, when you're playing it oh that's a good way especially yeah. the way you hold the chair yes yeah <laughs> very much it feels like an embrace uh, and and that's that's the sound although you know as you heard in, in a hall it, it cuts through, through it's with an the orchestra, projection you know. is incredible yeah so it's not only uh, warm but it's it has the brilliance as yeah. well so I, I love this how did you come to be uh, offered this cello by this organization well are you invited to go or do they choose promising young musicians it's sort of uh, it can be many many ways but how it worked was um, this one of the the patrons of this foundation had attended a few of my concerts in secret and that finally after one of them introduced themselves and uh, and asked if I would be interested in in coming to to this um, Where this foundation is based in in Quebec and and trying uh, some instruments and I said of course I, I would love to of you know course, I had yes. heard about their reputation and and their yeah, incredible yeah. collection so I was really honored and and I went and I didn't at all expect to have anything you know um, concrete come out of it uh, but that day I left with this cello. <laughs> Good grief! Was it an instant feel? It was. It was quite was instant. Did you try yeah. others as well? I, I was given the option of two cellos and one of them was a hundred years older. I mean it was from early 1600s. And um, it was also very, very special, uh, had its own qualities. But personally, I mean, I, I, I feel like instruments, stringed instruments especially, uh, you can equate them to, to people. You know, you, f you form a bond. Anytime you meet someone, you, you can sense, is there, a, is there a connection? Is there a bond? Yes, Yeah, and, and with instruments, it's, it's equally clear. And it's, can you hug them? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Are they receptive to love? You know? yes, right. <laughs> receptive to yeah. love. So the bond for this, for me, was instant. Was yeah. instant, gosh. And what about the bow? Because I gather bows are just... Well, very, very important. I would say just as important, in fact, yeah, yes. Yeah. Uh, and this, so I have uh, the pleasure of playing two wonderful bows on loan from different uh, foundations. One of them is a, a private long-term loan, and it's a Sartori 
um, and that's the one I actually used for the for the oh, algorithm. Yeah, okay. um, and okay. it's it's been I think around six or seven years that I've been playing this bow, and it's so versatile. Like um, pretty much any type of music, I, I really feel like I'm myself when I when I play this bow, which is so important. You need to feel like you can express everything you want to express. Uh, and another bow is from this same foundation that the the cello is from. It's uh, Dominique Picat, and these are both uh, French bows. It must be quite a business to bring to travel around with something as valuable as that. So you must have. Do you have a police escort? What? Yes. Uh, if you can't see them, it's a good thing. You know, <laughs> <laughs> they're doing their job. No, no, that's true. It's, uh, well, when I travel um, by plane, of course, it's the cello is always in an extra seat. I was going to say you can't beside put it me. In the hole, yes. No. no, definitely not. Um, and I just generally never let it out of my sight. It's it's my baby. <laughs> oh, Oh, makes me nervous. Just yeah, don't, don't think about it too much. No, no, <laughs> I'll, worry, I'll worry about it for you. <laughs> immediately. We've got Shostakovich, Brian. Shostakovich yes. Symphony Number no. 5, which is arguably the most popular, and rightly so, I think, yes. of the Shostakovich it symphonies. Is, it is an incredibly powerful work, I have to yeah. say. Yeah. So why have you chosen? You want to hear the last movement, part of the last yeah. movement. Yeah, I think this this symphony is is really interesting in, in a variety of different ways. I first uh, was exposed to Shostakovich's music because I studied with um, a Russian teacher in uh, in Montreal shortly after I was uh, continuing my cello studies. And he really imbued this um, passion for, for Russian music, uh, and especially that of Shostakovich, whom he, he knew. And uh, oh. he, he worked with his son, Maxim, yeah. uh, many, many times. And um, so I've heard these sort of uh, stories passed down through generations uh, of Russian musicians, and uh, you know, if if people ask me about these, you know, typical questions, who would you invite for a, a dinner party if you had the chance to? And yes. I would say Shostakovich would definitely be yeah. one of my uh, guests. He would be fascinating. He would be absolutely fascinating, fascinating. Yes, and his music gives us uh, an insight into this um, terrible time that that mm-hmm. that he lived in. Uh, but it's a it's a sort of historical record. This um, what what. Words cannot express uh, music does supremely well, and especially in, in the symphony when he was in this time of trepidation and uncertainty about mm, his. He'd just been condemned. As well. yeah, yeah, he'd been condemned by by Stalin, and mm. and he had every new work was under complete scrutiny. Um, that he what I like writing. is about this work, the Shostakovich. He said a Soviet artist responds to just criticism, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but most analysts say there's a lot. Underneath, there's exactly yeah. stirring. That's why I chose this. There's this music on on the surface, and that that is the wonderful thing about classical music is you can interpret it in so many different ways. I mean, you can enjoy it exactly as you hear it. It could be a very victorious, triumphant work on, on one hand, and that's how the Soviet government received it, and yes. and that's why they allowed this work to to continue to be played and yes. to be premiered because they thought it was a fantastic representation of Soviet culture. And so uh, Shostakovich sort of ticked that box. But <laughs> apparently the audience loved it because they felt that it was exactly how they felt being uh, oppressed under Stalin's regime. And it described the suffering that they that they were experiencing. So that's another whole another side of, of the sim- same exact work same that work. people have heard. You've asked us to play the last movement, which is a bit long. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, we won't be able to hear you. <laughs> well, I'd much rather you hear Shostakovich <laughs> than me. <laughs> but you suggest we pick it up towards the end so that's that we right get, and that ending i remember when i was very young i heard a recording with andre previn in the london symphony mm. orchestra where he made the ending sound really positively 
festive right because he took it really quite fast mm. then i heard one with kondrashin the russian conductor yes. at a quarter of the speed of what mm. previn did mm. and suddenly the it mood changed, changed for right me. Yeah, yes yeah. so you've asked for the maxim shostakovich version exactly yes so let's see what directly from does. the source <laughs> is it a festive ending or not <laughs>
well now. There's that controversial closing of the Symphony Number no. 5 by Shostakovich. Is it festive or is it tragic? Mm. Maxim Shostakovich there, the son of Dmitri, with the London Symphony Orchestra, and another choice of my guest, the cellist Brian Cheng, who lives in Berlin and speaks German. <laughs> and although you come from Canada, do, do you work a lot in Berlin, or is it just your, your base? That's what I find interesting about Berlin. You know, it's there's... It's such a hot spot for, for music, for arts, for classical music especially. I know so many people who are now moving there a lot, and there's always people passing through. But there's not that many opportunities to play in Berlin, which I, which I love, in fact. And that means that people <laughs> who, who live there just live there because they like the city and they like uh, being around this incredible community of, of artists. Whereas, for example, in, in London and New York, those are really gig cities. Um, there's always, you know... Maybe you have the feeling that you're fighting with your colleagues for the same opportunities. And, and in Berlin, it gives me a sort of peace and, and tranquility that, you know, there's not that much competition. It's just that we're, we're there because we love uh, living there. It is, you must say, a remarkable city. It's a beautiful city, mm -hmm. bearing in mind what happened to it and how they fixed it up. And there's just an atmosphere among the young people there who have accepted the whole Holocaust disaster yes. and are aware of it. And are moving on. Exactly. And I think that that's, I'm, I'm always very proud of young German people for mm -hmm. doing that. Yeah, there's, um, I'm, I'm impressed by how they acknowledge their, mm. their past and they really um, try not to shy away from it at all and, and instead um, try to create a, a better future. Yeah. And that's very, very um, omnipresent in Berlin. You see uh, so many scars of the war, yes. uh, both the, the World War and, and the Cold War also. And, and because of the wall, uh, there's there's duplicates of everything. There's you know an opera house in the east and the west, and yeah. and a concert hall in the east and the west, and and amazingly all of those institutions have have survived. So now Berlin has you know eleven professional orchestras and amazing. An amazing number of opera companies, and uh -huh. and this um, concentration still. Do exists. you get a chance to go to the concerts and operas? I try as much as possible. You know the great thing about. Being a musician and, and sort of connected in that world is that all of my friends play in these uh, uh, ensembles. And so I can just sneak in <laughs> through the backstage door and, and see, you know, on a, in any given night, the Berlin Philharmonic or the Staatskapelle mm. or the Staatsoper. And it's, uh, it's a real privilege, really, to be in the city. Yeah. I must just boast here, uh, I was telling you that I'm going to Berlin in May yes. to a ring cycle mm -hmm. at the Deutsche Oper. Mm -hmm. But... I was astonished to discover that in one city there are two ring cycles running almost simultaneously <laughs> because there's a ring cycle at the Staatsoper. Right, yeah, and how do you choose, right? It's <laughs> <laughs> I was guided by our friend here, Herbert Gluckner of the Wagner Society. Mm -hmm. He said, go and see the one at the Deutsche Oper. Although Christian Thielemann is conducting right. at the Staatsoper, yeah. and yeah. he's famous for his interpretation for the ring. Yes, he is. He's quite the Wagner proponent. Yeah. Absolutely. So, you know, you might have to betray your uh, <laughs> My <laughs> your Deutsche Oper uh, allegiances and uh, just oh, switch yeah. to the, the Staatsoper for one night. <laughs> and the Staatsoper is a very beautiful place. The Deutsche Oper, of course, was bombed, wasn't it? So right. Built yeah. a new, rather um, plain theater yeah utility utilitarian theater. from the outside but the acoustics are, are they're amazing yeah. inside yeah. and also no matter where you sit i've been lucky to be there twice um are you talking about that when you go to all these concert halls mm -hmm. you must be immediately aware of the acoustic and how it must affect 
a little more of this, a little less of that, possibly. Yes. Because for in, in Durban, for example, you might have played at the City Hall, which is a vast hall. Actually, it was at the Playhouse, which oh, was it the unfortunately Playhouse? doesn't have the most amazing acoustics. No, um, famously. Didn't. But it is, it is something that I, I definitely keep in mind always, uh, especially with an orchestra, you know, where I can only control my part and not necessarily you know the 70 other players mm. behind me uh, so that's that's something that soloists and, and recital uh, recitalists always um, struggle with and, and are constantly adjusting uh, and it's it's fascinating it's part it's an, another element of our art uh, and you show up and you get the hall that you are in and you have to create <laughs> have some to some magic with it yeah <laughs> And then there's the conductor, although I gather the conductor you've been working with, Robert Moody, you get on very well with yes, him. Yes, yes. He's been absolutely fantastic. Very, very charming man. Yeah. And, uh, but, um, but that's, yeah, that is another unknown factor, yes. uh, especially if you're paired with a conductor that you haven't worked with before. And, or that uh, you discover you don't really like. <laughs> yes. that, that must be In the worst case. But <laughs> luckily, that's, that hasn't really happened to me yet. <laughs> okay, okay. So... Um, we're approaching the end of our interview, which is a pity, because I'd love to chat to you about music. <laughs> we could talk forever, I'm forever. sure. But, um, Brian, what what now? What You get back, you're about to leave South Africa now mm-hmm. after having been here a month. Are you going back to Berlin? Are you going to Canada? I'm going back to uh, Germany, actually, to um, this uh, academy where I'm technically enrolled. It's called the Kronberg Academy, and it's a very specialized institution. It has about 40 students um, of all instruments, violin, viola, cello, piano, even double bass now, actually. And um, they, the concept of it is they invite these fantastic um, guest artists, really eminent musicians of our time, to give very intensive uh, sessions to the students, two or three days, where they uh, coach all of the students and we listen to each other. And it's a really um, inspiring bubble that mm. we're all in. And, and then we go away to our regular concert schedules and yeah. and sometimes often you know, play concerts with each other, some chamber music concerts, um, and uh, also with the, with the master musician. So it's a great, um, there's always fluid um, ensembles happening. And uh, so I'll, I'll be playing a session there in, in Kronberg and going back to Berlin and then giving my debut of this Piazzolla arrangement again back in, in Kronberg right before Christmas. Uh, so that's my 2023 plan. And then uh, next year, I have all of 24 books already. <laughs> really? Good which, for you. <laughs> And I hope one day you'll come back here. I would love to, Prepare yes. Maybe, or oh. something else that you think we should get to know We'll have better. to talk to Louis. We will have to talk to Louis. Uh, something's just caught my eye here before I let you go, and that is that I see you've played at the uh, Elbe Philharmonie in Hamburg. Yes, that's right. And I was lucky to go to um, a concert there. It's the most extraordinary hall, and I just wonder, we were talking about acoustics, what was it like to play there? Did you play a concerto there? I played, yes, I, I did play a concerto there. It was, it's, it's a feat of architecture. I mean, just oh, from, from the, both the exterior and the interior, quite... Um, Impactful, you know, when you walk in there, it's you've never you go seen up a and up and up and up. Yeah, oh, you've yeah. never seen a concert hall like it, really. <laughs> okay, now we're going to end with a song by Schubert, Nacht und Träume. Yes, how's my German? Sehr gut. <laughs> well, tell me why you've chosen this. This, I mean, this is one of the Schubert songs uh, for me uh, that I just it moves me every time. And actually, the most recent experience that I um, had listening to this piece, I, I cried. It was uh, in a concert of really um, strange pairing on paper. It was Ian, Ian Bostrich, the wonderful tenor, yes, one of tenor. my favorite tenors. Whom I saw at the Deutsche Oper, by the way. Fantastic, yes. Yeah, he's really one of one of the best of our time. And and then the jazz pianist, Brad Meldau. And this was at the um, oh. Verbier Festival in uh, 2022 when I was uh, there. And that festival is, is incredible in itself for many reasons, but uh, one of them is they put together 
these really unusual pairings of musicians that um, that normally don't happen, you know, outside of festivals. And um, this this concert that I listened to, they did the Schumann Dichterliebe, and then they did a, a cycle of songs that that Melda himself wrote. Um, and then they gave four or five encores, and the last encore was this um, Schubert Nachtenträume. And of course, I know this uh, song from many other interpretations, which I also love. But that that one really really struck me. There was a certain um, uh, togetherness uh, in in vision of of this uh, gorgeous piece uh, that that really really moved me so much. And I was delighted to hear that they. Uh, recorded it, so now I, I chose the, the, the recording. <laughs> now we'll have a chance to hear it. Exactly. <laughs> well, that's going to be our last piece. And um, Brian, it's been a treat to speak to you. Obviously, are a musician from your head to the tip of your toes, <laughs> and we heard that wonderful Algar. So I wish you well. Thank Hope you. Hope to Rocky. see you back here in Cape Town sometime. Yes, would love to. And um, travel well. <laughs> I'm sure I'll see you again, Indeed. maybe in Berlin. Indeed, in Berlin. <laughs> right, that's a date. That's Brian Cheng. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me.
People of Note on Fine Music Radio was proudly brought to you by Peter Turin Productions. FMR 101.3